from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. I'm Crystal Wilkinson, Kentucky's Poet Laureate. Welcome to Words for the People. Everyone has meaningful stories inside them, but we don't always know how to set them loose into the world. Words for the People is a new podcast where I explore issues with some of Kentucky's nationally recognized authors and ask them to share their wisdom on poetry and storytelling with me and emerging writers. We want to help you free the words that matter. On today's episode, we will explore loss. As we sit on the cusp from going from pandemic to endemic, we reflect on what has been lost, perhaps what has been found, processing our grief and scares from the past two years, and how our words can bring healing. I'm going to begin by sharing a a little bit from an essay that appeared in Emergence Magazine at the beginning of the pandemic that I wrote called Sweet Breath of Another. My mother is dying again. I sleep on the couch in the living room while my partner curls up snoring in our new bed. Within reach are a water bottle, three remote controls, an amber bottle of alprazolam, a novel, laptop, and cell phone. My mother appears just as she did a week before she died, her mouth pursed into a thimble, panning short, rapid breaths, the bedside monitor alarms. Nurses rush in. I stand in the middle of her hospital room, helpless, and then I wake up, relieved to be lying on the couch. I wish I had asked my mother more questions. I hear the click of the concentrated oxygen machine as it whirs to a stop, My partner staggers out of the bedroom and kisses me good morning. Good morning, I say. We say, I love you. We watch yesterday's news about the sickness. Toast, I say. He says, yes. Coffee, he asks. At the kitchen counter, he shakes the beans into the grinder before I say yes. He grinds the beans, pours the hot water into the pot, then presses the plunger of the French press. I say nothing. My partner is talking about an article on his phone. I can hear the birds chirping outside, but I can't hear what my partner is saying. I am remembering my mother. I am remembering the long, tight hugs of my children, laughter echoing in bars and restaurants. I am remembering a celebratory night in a bar, backlit in red, I am remembering conversations with my students and long, slow walks at a nature sanctuary. I am remembering the granddaughter who was in my mother's arms, now four, wearing a yellow blanket like a Supergirl cape on our front porch. I am remembering being curled like a question mark in the arms of my lover, the silence punctuated by his sweet breath in my ear. I look up at him and smile. None of us should be remembered for the way we die, but how we have lived instead.
we have with us today Frank X. Walker uh, as our very first guest, uh, a native of Danville, Kentucky. Frank X. Walker is the first African-American writer to be named Kentucky Poet Laureate. He has 12 collections of poetry, including Turn Me Loose, The Unghosting of Maker Evers, which was awarded a 2014 NAACP Image Award uh, for Poetry, and the Black Caucus American Library Association Honor Award for Poetry. And his latest book is Mask Man Black, Pandemic and Protest Poems. Um, so, Frank, um, I'm going to ask all the guests this question. Okay. How does being a Kentuckian inform your writing? Wow, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, but maybe a better question is how does it not? You know, I think that I don't know how to separate place or identity or any of the things that, that don't just make me Kentucky but make me proud of being where I'm from and connected to who I'm with. I don't know how to take that out. You know, everything I write about, you know, deals with family and place and identity. Even when you throw in the social justice and, and history parts of my work, it still makes its way back to the, this core kind of presence that's about where I'm from, you know. Mm. Um, so I think it'd be easier to, to try to explain <laughs> not why it's, you know, why it's, why it's there, but, you know, how it could not not be there you know for me I wasn't a farmer but I'm a product of farmers uh, I was raised in a housing project but we coveted other people's land and mm-hmm. and we got a kind of way about us when we had a chance to be outdoors in the in, in the wild or on a farm like my grandparents space so we always knew that you know where we live was not the norm or, or not the ideal, mm-hmm. uh, because it was always so much special to, you know, to watch somebody cut their own grass and 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 then look at the results, uh, and know that you know we could never feel like that uh, in the space we were growing up in. And so I think that just paying attention, you know, made me treasure being a Kentuckian that values this the place, the land. And the people, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm like you in that way that I can't separate the land from the people. That you take one from the other, you don't have a whole anything. Uh, but yeah, so you're not only born in Kentucky, but Kentucky was born in you. Um, you know, or you born with Kentucky inside you, and and so you don't know how it would be not to be a Kentucky writer. Right? Yeah, it's like taking the limestone filtering out of water before you take it out of the bourbon. It's like, it's not going to happen, you know. It's not happening. So today, um, one of our main themes is is um, experiencing loss um, during the pandemic. And I wanted to hear from you a piece of your writing. Yeah, I, I wrestled with what to, to bring. I was going to bring something much warmer that didn't exactly deal with loss. I was trying to in a way, I thought it dealt with loss, but at the end, I really couldn't make the argument in a strong enough way. So I, I relented and just picked up the book that's all about loss. Um, mm. And the, my collection called Last Will, Last Testament that uh, commemorates my father's passing and my son's arrival. Uh, so I wanna, I'll share a poem in here called Thumb Wrestlers that's about 
my father holding hands with me, his son, for the first time. You know, he wasn't a he wasn't a touchy feely person. It wasn't until uh, I stopped to write this poem that I realized that our manhood did not include any kind of touching or hugging. Uh, so it made this moment more special for me. Thumb wrestlers. We held hands for the first time on his deathbed, which would have been insignificant had we at least shared a fist bump, some dap, or a ritual handshake during any of our times together. The distance between us always felt wider because of the unspoken rule about unsolicited touching. According to his sister, people always thought he was a loner, but he was just private. So in his hospital room, surrounded by unblended families, I leaned in close and whispered. Then he squeezed, and I squeezed back. It was the loudest conversation we'd ever had. My warm breath in his ear, our large twin hands entwined and grappling, inventing our own Morse code, shouting all the things we never found words for. We held hands for the first time on his deathbed, but I imagine an infant me wrapping all of my tiny digits around the expanse of one of his massive thumbs, like my son is doing now. Hmm. So in hearing that, you know, you hear the loss, and I remember when you were going through this, and uh, there have been lots of loss um, experienced over these past two years over the time of COVID. Mm-hmm. But, but what about the healing? Do you find the writing process, writing about grief, healing? I would say it's the thing that has kept me above water, actually. I would say that the almost everything I've written uh, – during the pandemic has been in, in on one way very selfish and about me trying to to try to channel all this emotional stuff that you know some days feel like it's choking me uh, into some place in, in a useful direction uh, that has you know yielded a lot of work I mean I think it's been the most prolific time in my life as far as the kind of the amount of creative stuff I've churned out. But it also means to me that it's also been the most emotionally challenged period of my life uh, with so much stress from so many different sources. But writing has been a a perfect fulcrum Hmm. uh, and an outlet uh, because there's no limit to what you can take to the page. You know, everything I wrote down didn't see the light of day, but everything I wrote down I needed to get said. Uh, in order to to take the next breath, uh, so absolutely, I would say writing writing has been such a useful survival mechanism for me. I I worry about people who who don't have writing available, how they're getting through the pandemic because mm-hmm. without it, I don't think I could have survived, and it's not even over yet. Yeah, so I think you know, with the loss of people, we've had loss of time, loss of personal connection outside our own little mm-hmm. little bubbles. So one of the things, we, if we think about the opposite of loss, is found. So you have found perhaps a deeper connection with your with your art, both your writing and mm-hmm. your, your visual work. What else have you found? 
you hit it right on the head. I mean, the gift of not just art. I would quantify it as time. Uh, I always felt like I was rushing everywhere, but being sheltered in place meant that, you know, I had a half day to to start and finish a piece of art. When before COVID, it would have been like, okay, I've got a half hour. Is it even worth opening the paint? Uh, drawing a piece of th- anything on a piece of wood. But with all the extra time, you know, not only did I start making art again, I started making the kind of art that took the most time, you know, that's so time-consuming that when it was all done, you know, it's like I just had a, another child. I, I don't, can't even sell it because I've lived with it for so long, uh, and I've sweated on it. I probably bled. I probably got a splinter in my finger, and now it's hanging on the wall. You know, how do you let that go? Uh, so what's funny is that, you know, we had a nice little art collection in our house, and now it's being crowded out because we keep making all this art and and have to hang it. You know, we put it up in the show and then bring it home, and and we're not even trying to sell it anymore. <laughs> it just we just had another kid, you know, found a space for it. Hmm. Um, but it's you know, and but I think the subject matter is even speaking to you know what we need right now. The last piece I created was a uh, a woman giving birth. Um, I saw that piece. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know that I'd get in trouble if I even tried to put a price tag on it. It has a price tag on it. But um, I know that, you know, it it can't go anywhere but home. Uh, you know, I need to start thinking about, you know, what I'm leaving my grandkids. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, you know, I'm privileged and I'm blessed to know that, you know, 40 years ago, I would have needed to sell that piece of art so I could pay for my studio or light bill or child support, or eat, and probably in that order. Uh, and now, you know, because I, I have a, another occupation with income, I can make art and just enjoy it. And there's, n- there's no extra pressure. I can make art just to help say something and, and stay alive and to speak with, with wood or paint. Hmm. I, love, I love what you said about, about time, and I certainly think that these two years. And even as we go into the future, we don't know what's what's going to happen. But I think that it's certainly changed our relationship to time. Words for the People will be right back. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Welcome back to Words for the People with Kentucky Poet Laureate Crystal Wilkinson. So we've talked about loss and um, what we've lost in these couple years with the pandemic. Um, talked a little bit about what, what we found, but what, what did you find yourself remembering? Well, uh, remembering. Well, I actually slowed down enough to remember that I was a visual artist, um, that I didn't, didn't just dabble in it, that, um, that I actually knew what I was doing once upon a time. It had been so long ago. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, I had that wood in my hands. And something different happens with wood than with paint for me. With wood, it's like 
they're not my my hands. They're my father's hands. They're my grandfather's hands. And mm. that long line of Walker men who built things uh, just shows up, and the work becomes something different. You know, so having a chance to to honor them, uh, you know, I think it, it made me think about a poem I wrote for my nephew after my father died, and it was about spending a whole week in his backyard building a deck to go around his pool. And we didn't even talk for, I mean, he may have said, hello, you hungry, want to stop, get some more supplies. But we mostly just sweated and, and, and hammered and nailed and sawed and cut and got calluses. And that whole process became, unconsciously for me, part of my grieving process of, and I realized even when I was laying down aching at night on his couch, you know, just being sore inside and out, you know, how close I felt to that long line of, of Walker mm-hmm. men and how important that was to me. Uh, and when I got back around to making art with the same hands and the same wood in a way that was not about a backyard patio, but something more, you know, something smaller that you might hang on a wall. Uh, all that stuff showed up again. Um, the pandemic gave me that, gave me the chance to remember that I'm, I come from a family of men with hands mm. that know know how to use them in good ways. Um, and there's and, a difference between like working the words than, than working with your hands. Yeah, well, the, the physicality, the rhythm of the there's labor. Something, there's something about the physicality that that pulls from a different place for me. Hmm. Uh, when it's just me and the page and words, I feel like I, you know, my heart is involved, but I feel like I'm living in my head. But when I'm working on a piece of art with my hands, I feel like I'm living in my body. If it makes hmm. any sense, yeah, it does. It's that that much difference. Your profession, um, of course, you've been um, a teacher for a very long time and a mentor to other writers. Today, you're paired up with Zakia Holland uh, for this show and um, wanted to talk a little bit about how you know her and what advice you would give to Zakia about the craft of writing. Oh, yeah, you chose a winner. Absolutely. I, I met her when she was a high school student. I visited her her classroom um, and had a chance to to get to know her work so early that when given the opportunity to invite some younger voices to be part of a a national radio, international radio audience on Wood Songs, I mean, she was one of the first young people I thought of, and uh, she did not disappoint. You know, her, her... People are still talking about that poem that she read. And they should, you know. I mean, she she's... She's a force that's going to be, you know, impossible to reckon with in the in the future when she, you know, hopefully comes to our MFA program and finishes her transition into the real world of poetry. That you know she'll be, you know, ready to to do battle. You know, when you talk to her in high school, you know that she's not been a child for a long time. The things that she's worried over and worried about and learned from are already informing her work. You know, in eleventh and twelfth grade, uh, and, and that's just the kind of stuff I think that makes great writers. Uh, it's not just a struggle, but what, but 
figuring out how to learn from that struggle and and uh, how to be a better person for it. You know, mm. uh, she is she's all those things, and and I love her work and her energy, and I'm honored that you know that I'm paired with her. She's not paired with me. I'm paired with her. Uh, I hope I can hold up my end of it. <laughs> I think you've done it. I think you've done it well. So what advice, you know, not just just to Zakia, but what advice would you give um, writers who may be established or maybe they are emerging? I think for her to stay on the path that she's on, you know, some of that, mm-hmm. uh, some of the path that she's on, it, it, it may feel, you know, tumultuous at times. Um, but it also, it feels like she's, involved in some of the choices that are being made about, you know, her life, uh, which is also important. And and more important than staying on that path, but to trust the path that she's on. Uh, the things that she's surviving and encountering and, and, and conquering now, you know, those are the things that she's going to be so grateful for when she's much older uh, and writing about her past and writing about her, her youth you know, I always laugh when I meet 18 and 19 year olds who tell me they're, they're writing their memoir and their autobiography. <laughs> and I would go, about what? <laughs> you know, you couldn't have possibly lived a life at 17, 18 years worth reading about. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't laugh at, you know, if she said that in, in the next five or 10 years, you know. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think she really would understand what she was saying. You know, where the other individuals were just being naive. They didn't know what they didn't know. But, you know, I always give one or two pieces of advice, and, and they're both the same thing, you know. Uh, read. You know, I think that if I could say it differently, I would say listen to other people read and talk about their craft. You know, there's so much to learn about the craft of writing. You know, that being gifted or being verbose or having a good ear is not enough by itself, that you really need to take all that stuff and, you know, put it together. Uh, and then put the time in, you know. They talked mm-hmm. about it taking 10,000 hours to become a master at anything. You know, I think for writers it's, it's harder because that's 10,000 hours of reading, that's 10,000 hours of, of listening, that's 10,000 hours of, of writing and getting it wrong, and then then 30,000 of editing to try to get it right. So, <laughs> right. It takes longer, I would say, to become a master at, at writing. Um, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. If you, you know, when and if you put the hours in, but it, but you can't, there's no substitute for, for reading. Right. I always um, laugh at this advice. Not laugh at it, but I remember it so well. Like whenever people would ask Ernest Gaines mm-hmm. about advice, he would say, well, I have six things. And everybody would sort of lean forward and get their notebooks out. And he would go, read, 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 <laughs> write, write, write. Yep. That's six. There you go. Um, and I think you can't put too much emphasis on that. It's brilliant. I mean, and it's, it's I think it's that, it's that simple and that beautiful. And, again, you can't, there's no shortcut to having read, you know, and having not just written, but written poorly and figured out what was poor about it and tried to fix it. That, mm-hmm. you know, doing that enough is the only way you figure out, you know, how to, you know, yeah, you know you, you'll find your voice eventually. You know, you'll figure some things out. But you, you can't jump to the head of the line. 
And I know in this microwave generation of kids we keep having, a, they want a faster microwave. And they want to know how they can go, you know, right from English 107 to signing books, mm-hmm. you know. And, and auto, they don't want to sign books. They want to sign autographs because they want the celebrity that comes with, you know, the literary world. You know, we laugh about that, but, you know, that that's not an overnight thing either. You know, you have to... And then when you get there, you even recognize that it's not celebrity. It's just, it's just nice that people treat old folks with kindness. Yeah. And, but it looks like celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I, I uh, run into, and which I'm sure you have too, so many writers who uh, someone has described as the breakout or emerging. <laughs> and this person's like, I've been writing for 25 years. Overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, Frank, I want to thank you for being our, our first guest and, and coming on with us today for Words for the People. Well, I'm honored uh, to be your first guest. Of, I mean, the, the the Poet Laureate, you know, credibility in this room right now is just, just palpable. <laughs> All right. So our second guest for today, we want to welcome Zakia Holland uh, with us here. And she is a poet and activist from Richmond, Kentucky, or at least she graduated from Madison Central High School. And she says that she's from all over Kentucky. She's 21 years old. Um, she's been writing poetry as an outlet for creative expression since she uh, can remember. And we are so glad to have her um, I know anyone who has heard her has been really excited about her work. Frank was excited about her work, and we're glad to have you here with us today, Zakia. Thank, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited. Thank you. So the first question I wanted to ask you was about being, you said you were from all over Kentucky, but I was just wondering how does being a Kentuckian inform your writing? I think that I, when I say that I've been I'm from all over Kentucky. Like, I've lived in Bath County, Bourbon County. I lived in the West End of Louisville for a long time, like, in my childhood. And then I lived in Richmond, Kentucky. I moved back to Louisville. So I've seen all kinds of Kentucky as far as the people go and, like, the landscape and everything, like, going in the mountains. And then, you know, there's horses and stuff. <laughs> but then being in the city as well. So I've seen people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And how do, how do you think... Um, does being from Kentucky give your writing a particular flavor or how does it appear in your writing? I think even with the way that I talk, I've got a little country twang to it. That's just me. So I think that it's definitely apparent in my writing. I also, you know, do, I sing, I do music and things like that. So it appears there as well. I'm really a country girl at heart. So <laughs> well, we have that. We there. have that in common. Then. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I know you brought a piece with you um, to read, so I'd like to hear you um, read your piece. Okay. So I know that the theme was going to be about loss. And one thing about me, um, I was just talking about this with one of my old teachers, Miss Centra, Susan Centra, which she put me on to a lot of the opportunities as far as my poetry goes. She did that. But um, I'm going to share it. Thank you. Absolutely. I've always felt like death was the main reoccurring theme in and of my life. Black was never my favorite color, but we wore it a lot. I'm so sorry for your loss and 
this must have been a terrible loss and my condolences stay strong and turn your face to the Lord. But I have to be honest, I haven't spoken to him in so long. I try to find other ways to carry on, but the grief creeps up when I least expect it. And facing all these stages leaves this pain inside my chest and I can't repress it. So instead I express it. It's something like metamorphosis. There's more to this. The rivers keep flowing and the flowers keep growing, as do we. The wind keeps on blowing and standing tall still are the trees. And we watch the leaves change as the seasons do. It makes you think about what we've been through. Storms can wreak havoc, but they don't come to make you sad. Some storms come to clear the path, and you realize how far you've come. I find myself locking arms in trauma bonds because I feel so deeply. I know that life keeps going on and on, so we've got to think more freely. There's brilliance and resilience in our ability to adapt and evolve. It's the balance in which our universe revolves. What goes up must come down. What goes around comes back around. Mm, thank you. I love how it, it sort of transitions from loss to, to healing at the end. Right. And that was one of the things that I was going to ask you. We've all been through so much in the last um, couple of years with the pandemic, and hopefully it's turning into an endemic now. Right. Um, but we've lost people. We've lost time. Um, so I wondered if the writing process has been healing for you. I will say that it definitely has because when we first were in like this major quarantine, you know, we were out of school doing everything online, even like with jobs, a lot of people had to stop working. And it's like we're sitting around worrying and, you know, freaked out because we don't know what's going on and we're scared of change. But I think I've been spending a lot of time writing and it's definitely helped me like as far as expressing my emotions so that I don't dwell on everything. So I think it's been a really good thing for me. It always has. Mm. What about, I asked Frank this question earlier. So if, you know, we've talked about loss, um, is there anything that you have found? If you think about the opposite of loss, uh, what have you found in the last couple of years during this pandemic? I found, I've always been a really anxious person, I'll say, and I've been, in my shell a lot, but I think that I've gained this type of confidence within myself and my creative work as well. And it's really, I don't know, it's made me feel a lot better about myself as far as like loving myself. And I think that's really awesome. We've lost a lot, but at the same time, like there's good in everything. It's just the balance. So yeah, I think I found like a new confidence in myself. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That, uh, and that, segues right into uh, something else that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that, that we've had our guests do is to talk about advice for, for other writers. And um, I asked Frank what advice he would give you specifically. And then I asked him about advice that he would give to, to other writers. But he said, and it sounds like you're doing it, but he said, stay on the path and trust the path that you're on. Um, he talked about the fact that he thinks that a lot of young people don't have experiences to write about mm -hmm. being young, but he felt like that you were um, 
he didn't say this. This will sound sort of cliche, but in some words, he said he felt like you were an old soul. Yeah. And that uh, when you wrote about your experiences, that it felt like the truth. So he said, stay on the path that you're on, that you're already sort of ahead of the game, uh, even even being as young as you are. So what what would be your reaction to what he had wow, to say? Wow, that's, that's heartwarming. I love him. He's He's really awesome. But, yeah, I've definitely been told a lot of times that I'm old, so, like, people say I act like a little old granny. Yeah, I really appreciate that, That because it's like a confirmation, because sometimes you, I don't know what I want to do exactly. I go down different paths sometimes, but definitely writing has always been a big part of me, and I want to continue to do that. So, yeah, so stay on that's the path. So awesome. <laughs> stay on the path. The other thing that Frank uh, sort of suggested for everyone was – to read yes. uh, if you wanted to be a better writer to make sure you read. And he said, listen to other people read and listen to them talk about their craft. So I wanted to ask you a similar question. Like our next guest will be George Ella Lyon, who's uh, also a former poet laureate and mm-hmm. a, a great uh, poet. So what advice would you have for George Ella? I, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would just say for everyone to just stay true to yourself because there's such power in individuality. And we can't always be like, although there's everyone can be, you can find inspiration in anything. Just definitely whatever feels right to you, trust that and stay true to yourself and everything that you do. Hmm. How would you um, sort of describe, how do you manage to do that? Like, I think a lot of writers, um, particularly if they're beginning, um, have problems finding their voice or their mm-hmm. individuality. They sometimes want to sort of imitate or mimic other writers. Right. Uh, what would you suggest? Honestly, whatever inspires you. Me, personally, I've listened to, I've always been deep in music and how it has affected the whole culture of everything. And I find inspiration in nature and in a lot of different things. And I kind of just make my own little flavor of everything mixed together to call it my own but that's how it is but everybody's still a little bit different so just find what really inspires you and what about your process how do you how does a poem go from like sort of the incubation stage to a full-fledged poem that you'll write and and or perform so a lot of the times I'll just be walking around and I think I hear rhymes in my head. I know that might sound a little crazy, but like if, so, if I hear a word that rhymes with something and I don't know, I think of my thoughts just rush everywhere. Like I have ADHD, <laughs> but I just get inspired and I sometimes pull my phone out. I'll make a little voice memo or I'll write something down if I have a pen and paper with me. And then a lot of the times I'll start something and come back to it. I know that you have done a lot of important work. I looked back and I saw some of the articles about some of the activist work that you did in Richmond, and I know you've done that other places. So can you talk about how your poetry um, ignites change? Absolutely. So in 2020, we, my friends and I actually organized a protest in Richmond, which was like a major deal. And I read one of my pieces there, but I honestly think it takes different things to actually ignite someone 
or inspire someone into listening. It can't always be just a speech. It can't always just be a song. Sometimes, you know, people feel poetry. So I feel like as long as those are the kind of people that need to hear what I have to say, then I'm going to say it. Yeah, there's so many different ways, I think, to get the message. And it probably takes all of them. Right, exactly. To hit different people in, in different angles right. to, to sort of elicit change. Absolutely. So that's a, that's another thing. Um, keep getting in the good trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> keep getting in the, the good trouble. The best kind. The best kind, <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to, to thank you so much for coming and being with us today and sharing your work Absolutely. and giving advice to other writers. Mm. And um, it's so wonderful to have you thank as you. the first guest. I told Frank, and, and I said, Zakia was coming or something like that. And he said, no, I'm on the show with Zakia. It's oh, like Zakia's show and oh, I'm on the show with her. So stay on your path, Absolutely. like Frank said. And thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Each episode of Words for the People will feature an emerging and an established Kentucky writer, and starting next month, will also include words from you. Our next episode will focus on home, so please share with us something you've written about where you're from. To get your creativity flowing, here's one of my favorite pieces by next month's guest, Georgia Lyon. It's called Where I'm From. I am from clothespins, from Clorox and carbon tetrachloride. I am from the dirt under the back porch, black, glistening, it tasted like beets. I am from the forsythia bush, the Dutch elm, whose long-gone limbs I remember as if they were my own. I am from fudge and eyeglasses, from Imogene and Alifair. I'm from the know-it-alls and the pass-it-ons, from perk-up and pipe-down. I'm from he restoreth my soul with a cotton ball lamb in ten verses I can say myself. That's your prompt for the month. Visit wordsforthepeople.org and click on Writing Prompt to share your piece with us. It can be poetry, prose, or even a piece of visual art, and we might contact you to share it on an episode in the future. I'm Crystal Wilkinson, Kentucky's Poet Laureate, Thanks for joining me on Words for the People. Words for the People is hosted by Crystal Wilkinson, Kentucky's Poet Laureate. It's produced by Sally Evans and me, Alex Cooper. Laura Ellis is our executive producer. Dan Collins engineered our interviews. Graphic design by Mindy Fulner. And our music is by the Afrophysicists. This show is made possible in part by support from the Kentucky Foundation for Women and the Snowy Owl Foundation. Special thanks to Catherine Six and Gabrielle Jones. And to our guests today, Zakia Holland and Frank X. Walker. From LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. 
Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Thank you.